At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world, a fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. Now, how many came ready to receive the Word of God? How many came ready to receive God's Word? Amen? I want to go back to a verse of Scripture that I mentioned earlier this morning as we began worship, and it's Psalm 34 and 3. Psalm 34 and 3 is an invitation. The psalmist who wrote that is inviting us to do something. And the words of the psalm simply go this way, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. I love that verse. It's an invitation for us to do something. And what is this something that the psalmist wants us to do? He wants us to magnify the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that, and I want to use an illustration for a moment. The illustration of a magnifying glass. Maybe you've used one before. Uh, Our glasses, for those of us who wear glasses, can be called a magnifying glass. They magnify things. Maybe a telescope, maybe an actual magnifying glass. But but what is it? It is a lens through which you look, and as you look through that lens, the objects that you look at become bigger in your sight. Now, it's not that the lens is actually changing the size of the actual object, but it is changing the way that we see it. It becomes bigger to us, and that's exactly the goal of worship. When I think about that psalm, Psalm uh, 34 and 3, I think about it stating the ultimate goal of worship and certainly the ultimate goal of every message I preach and every message that is preached by anybody who stands before you on this platform. It is to magnify the Lord. It is to use the lens of a passage of Scripture to make God bigger in our sight. Now, we're not making God any bigger than he actually is. He already is big enough that all the universe could not contain him. But we certainly can use the lens of a passage of Scripture to make him bigger to us. And this is what I want you to desperately see today, that God is bigger than what you and I often realize. And so who is this God? Well, last week we looked at um, John chapter 1 as we started this Advent series called Emmanuel, God with us. And in John chapter 1, John, the disciple who writes that biography of Jesus, says these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He later on in verse number 14 goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want us to consider for a moment the significance of that. Why is that even important? And what does it mean that he would be referred to as the word? 
What does it mean that we as Christians refer to our Lord and Savior? The one that we just sang about in that carol, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. I love that line. Hail the incarnate deity, God in flesh. What does it mean that we refer to our God as the Word? Well, I believe that among the many implications of that, I believe that if that is true, if what Jesus says about himself is true, if what John says about him in John chapter 1, that great Christological chapter, if that's true, then he is more important to listen to than E.F. Hutton. Now, I'm about to date the room. I'm going to date the room for just a moment. How many in here, you're going to tell your age, remember or even know who I'm referring to when I say the name E.F. Hutton? Show me your hands. That means you were born uh, before 1990. If you were born after 1990, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But E.F. Hutton was a financier. He was an investment and finance guy. And in 1927, he started a company, co-founded a company called E.F. Hutton and Company. It was an investment firm that went on to be one of the largest, one of the most influential in our country. And during the 80s, they had this powerful slogan. How many old folks know what I'm talking about? When E.F. Hutton speaks, help me finish it. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It was a stroke of brilliance. It was their way of saying that you need to listen to E.F. Hutton because E.F. Hutton has something important to say. Well, if Jesus is the ultimate word of God, if he is the final revelation, if he is the word in flesh, then he is more important to listen to than even E.F. Hutton. What he has to tell us not only has earthly importance, but he has eternal importance. Today, I want you to think about this, that when Jesus speaks, we ought to listen And why is that? It is because he is the ultimate word of God. But why should that matter to us? Well, that's what we're going to look at today as we go into the passage we've already read. It's in Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to turn your Bibles there with me. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 is one of three great Christological chapters of the New Testament. Now, what I mean by that is that There are three chapters that give us just a comprehensive view of who our Savior is. Now, all of the New Testament speaks to him, and he, in Luke chapter 24, says all of the prophets and the Psalms speak to him, as well as the law and the Torah as well. But yet these three chapters seem to, with crystal clear clarity, speak to our hearts. And before this series is over, we'll examine all three of them. John chapter 1 Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. We looked at uh, John chapter 1 last week. We'll look at Hebrews chapter 1 this week and next week we'll get to Colossians. And what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first two verses of chapter 1 of Hebrews says this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. That could just um, be enough for us to weep over, enough for us to shout over, enough for us to celebrate that God spoke. But it doesn't stop there. 
We'll come back to it. But it goes on to say, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is where we get to magnify him for just a moment. Follow with me for just a moment, if you will. One of the questions that theologians often ask themselves is this, is that if all I had to know about God was contained in the passage that's before me, what could I know? Put a different way, if, if God revealed himself only through these verses, what would we know or what could we know about God just through these verses? Well, if all we had was Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I would argue that there's two great things we would know about God. Number one, we would know that this God is all-powerful. Where do we get that from? We get that from the line that reads, through whom he created the world. But we would also know that this God desperately wants to have relationship with us. Because verse number one tells us that he speaks to us, not just us now, but those generations before us that he has been speaking to them and now he speaks to us as well. Let's deal with the first part of that thought. Let's deal with the thought that he is all powerful. You know, scripture over and again credits one person for all of creation and that is Jesus. It does so in Genesis, it does so in John chapter 1, where it says all things were created for him and by him. It does so in Colossians chapter 1, reiterating that truth. And even now, it drives home the fact that the universe was made by Jesus. But I want you to see the depths of this. And and I just want to share some basic scientific facts. It won't be breaking news for, for most of us, but you may recognize that the earth, this planet that we're on, with its vast oceans and its mountains so high and its land so sprawling and vast as well, which so often for us can feel overwhelming to the point where we feel small standing at the precipice of the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic or standing at the base of a mountain that strengths us and causes us to feel so finite in its sight. That this planet, as beautiful and complex as it is, is but one planet in our solar system. How many knew that? Oh man, we got a long way to go. Just one planet. There are seven other planets in our solar system. Wrap your mind around that. But if that was not enough, NASA engineers tell us that our solar system is but one of 3,200 plus solar systems in our galaxy, which we affectionately refer to as the Milky Way. But if that was not enough, wrap your mind around this, that our galaxy, according to those same NASA scientists, is one of over 200 billion in the universe. Now, why all this science? It's because, friends, what we just read is that this 
universe, this beautiful planet, the seven others in our solar system, the 3,200 plus in our galaxy, the 200 plus billion galaxies in our universe all came into existence because he spoke. Think about that the next time you worship him. Think about that the next time you fall to your knees and you pray. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He is bigger than what we realize. We are not just praying to E.F. Hutton. No, there is one that is greater. He is Lord of all, maker of heaven and earth. That is the one that we bring our petitions to, that we pour out our hearts to, that invites us to come to him if we are weary and heavy laden. And how many thank God that the maker of heaven and earth invites me into his presence. What is the implication of that? What's the implication that we are talking about a being that with his mere words creates planets and suns and moons and stars and galaxies in the universe? What's the implication of that? I think there's only one response to that. The only proper response is worship. The only proper response is that I would bow my knee to him, bow my heart to him, that I would surrender my life to him. And any other response simply reveals a totally inadequate understanding of who it is we're dealing with. We're dealing with God. Angels tremble before him. The mountains shake before him. And if that was not enough, the same God wants to have relationship with us. That not only is he the creator of all of the world, but did you see in verse number one that he speaks? It says that in Many times, in many ways, God spoke. I want to just camp out here for just a moment, and parenthetically, I want you to consider for just a moment the word many. I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to look over that. It's so easy for us who have been saved for some time, walking with Jesus for some time, reading the Bible for some time, to just passively or pedestrianly walk by a verse like this as if is not full of glories and grace. But consider for just a moment that he not only speaks to us, but he does it again and again and again. And how many are grateful that he does? Because I don't know about you, so often I'm a slow learner. So often my heart is hard and my head is thick. And I wish I could tell you that I came to believe or accept the gospel the first time I heard it, but I needed to hear it again and again and again. And by the way, I still need to hear it again and again and again because I'm ashamed to say that in spite of all that I know about him, there are many times when life gets hard and dark and difficult where I get my own form of spiritual amnesia. 
and I forget that he is good, and I forget that he is God, and I forget that he created planets and solar systems and galaxies and the universe. I thank God that he is patient with me that many times and in many ways he will speak again and again and again to just sweetly remind me and you of who he is. He's the lover of our souls. He's the one who cares for us like no one cares for us. He's the one who laid down his life so that we might live. Now, how many have ever so desperately wanted to hear from God that you have been on the verge of being frustrated with him because he's not speaking directly to you the way you want him to speak to you? How many have ever been through that before? God, I need a a word from you. I need to hear from you and I'm not hearing from you and the fog seems thick and the darkness is hard to see through. I need to hear from you. I want to hear from anybody else. I want to hear from you. And again, Our frustration with God in those moments reveals a a woefully inadequate understanding of who he is. And we'll be frustrated a little bit if we read in verse number one that he's spoken many times to our fathers, in many ways to our fathers, the generations before us through prophets. But this makes sense. If God is who he says he is, why does he have to condescend down to our level? Is he at all obligated to have to acquiesce to us? You know, ancient kings would not speak often at all directly to their subjects, but they would send representatives to their subjects. And it was expected that when a representative came with news from the king to the subjects, to the citizenship, that they would hear that representative and respond to that representative with radical and full obedience. Because after all, that was the king. And the king does not have to come and deliver a direct message to you. And if that is true of earthly kings, how much more the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Praise God that in his mercy that he sent Israel prophet after prophet after prophet to declare as his representatives his great love for them, his truth, his wisdom, his care, his compassion. Praise God for those prophets. And that's all. If that was all that he did, he would still be worthy of our praise But that scripture doesn't stop there, does it? It goes on to say that in these last days, how many are grateful that we're in the last days? Okay, that was weak. I'm going to come here. How many are grateful that we are in the last days? How many are grateful that he's about to crack that midnight sky? That he's coming back again? That he's going to declare to the world that he is who he says he is? How many are grateful along with me that we real soon are about to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? How many in their hearts are praying along with me? Come, Lord Jesus, come. I don't know about you. I'm excited that he's about to crack that midnight sky, that he's coming back again. 
I'm grateful to be in the last days, but not just because of the second advent, but because of the first advent, that in this last day season, he has spoken to us directly. He has come to us to say, I want you to know me, the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God, friends, for these verses. There's so much there. I couldn't have enough time to plummet the depths of what is here, even the scientific truth that is here. Notice that if these verses are true, that means the universe has a beginning. The Bible said that from Genesis chapter 1, it took modern science till 1927 when great scientist George Latimer came up with what's known as Big Bang Cosmology to announce to the world that the universe actually does have a beginning. I'm so glad science caught up with the Bible. And I'm so glad that today that we don't have to go through intermediaries We don't have to pray through saints or through Mary, but we can go to God directly for ourselves because of Jesus. How many thank God for that truth? But it doesn't stop there. He is not just the creating word. Jesus is the creating word of God. But he is also, Jesus is the revealing word of God. Look at what it says in verse number three, the A part of that verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now we just read that he created the universe by his word, but now we see that he even holds it together by his word. That if he took his gaze, his grace off of this universe, it would spiral out of control and into oblivion. But not only does he hold the universe together by his word, how many can declare that my life is held together by his word? that he holds me together by his word. And when we cut ourselves off from his word, we are cutting ourselves off from the very power and person that sustains us. But let's go back to the A part of that verse where it says he is the radiance of his glory. Friends, you and I can scarcely look at the sun for more than a couple of seconds without our eyes watering, let alone the glory of God. But Jesus, God, wraps his glory in flesh and dwells among us. And we behold the glory. And we see the glory. We see the characteristics of God, his compassion, his mercy, his grace. We see the power of God. It's as if Jesus comes to say that I know we live in a world full of misinformation and disinformation, and I don't want you to be deceived, nor do I want you to be agnostic. 
You see, this verse, if it is true, and I believe it to be true, it flies against the prevailing ethos of agnosticism that rules our day. Now, what does that word agnostic mean? It means uncertain or unsure. And there's a lot of people who feel like we can't be sure about anything about God, that we can't be certain. Maybe we have bits and pieces of truth, but the big picture, we cannot know. And that's what allows the pluralism of our day to exist, the polytheism of our day to exist, the foolish statements like, you got your truth and I got my truth, as if truth has not revealed himself. But Jesus comes as a definitive word of God and says, no, you don't have to fall into the foolish pit of agnosticism and pretend with the rest of the culture that we can't be sure about God. No, we know who he is. He is the way. He is is the truth. He is the life. He has revealed himself. He is the final word. He is the ultimate word. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and we know who he is. Friends, if you want to know anything about me, who's the best person to ask? My wife. There's always one heckler in every room. It's me. And then my wife. If you want to know something about someone, who's the best person to ask? That person. And if you want to know about God, who's the best person to ask? It is God. And you don't have to believe that all roads lead to heaven and all dogs go to heaven and every religious system is the same Hinduism boasts of over three million gods. Atheists say there is no God. Jews and Muslims say there's only but one God. But Jesus says none of this has to be a mystery for I come. And he reveals himself as the final word, the final revelation on God. And if you want to know who he is, you have been given the truth on him. And think about the great lengths he's gone through. This book, and we're right to refer to it as one book, but really it is 66 books written over 1,500 years in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, by many different authors with one harmonious message, and that is Jesus is Lord. And that is the definitive word that he wants us to hear on him. But as my time expires, let me ask you a more important question. What good is a message if it's not received? Anybody ever had bad cell service before? Somebody says, I called or I text and you didn't get the message. What good is it if I send you a text? sharing with you vital information and details and you don't get it? What good is it if I send you a Christmas card sharing with you how much I appreciate you, but it gets lost somewhere in the mail? What good is it if I write you a letter expressing my love for you, affirming you, but you never get the privilege of reading it? You didn't receive it. Friends, 
This is the dilemma that confronts you and me. It is that heaven has sent a message that you and I often don't receive. And let me just tell you as a radio guy, there are times when the problem in the reception is not coming from the station. It is your receiver that's the problem. And what is our problem? Not that he has not spoken. He has spoken many times and in many ways, not just through prophets, but through his son. But I got a sin problem and my sin and yours causes us not to be able to hear him clearly, accurately, or at all. And if God has been silent in your life, maybe, just maybe, it's not because heaven isn't sending the signal. It's because there's something that needs to be dealt with in you, which is why I love the B part of verse number three, which declares these magnificent words after making purification for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels. He is greater than angels, friends as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This Jesus over and over again is affirmed as deity. What else do we need? He has created all things. He is greater than the angels. And when it says he is set down at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty, it's not talking physically. God doesn't have a physical body. It is talking authority. He is in a seat of authority. All power, all authority, all dominion is in his hands. But what difference does that make? If we have not yet dealt with our sin problem, but praise be unto God, he is not just the creating word of God. He is not just the revealing word of God, but Jesus is the saving word of God. How many praise God for that, that when he comes into the world, he lives a sinless life and goes to that cross and dies and pays my sin debt and raises again and purifies my heart and yours if we turn to him in faith. So the question is, not has he spoken, but can you hear him? Maybe you remember the Verizon campaign 2014 when they came out with the snappy slogan that became almost annoying. But you remember the slogan, can you hear me now? How many remember that slogan? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? How many wish you didn't remember that slogan? Right? It becomes annoying. Can you hear me now? But, but I think that's what God is saying over and over again in our lives. In suffering, can you hear me now? In triumph, can you hear me now? When he blesses us, can you hear me now? When we experience loss and pain, Jesus is saying, can you hear me now? At the end of every sermon, he is asking the same question of your heart and mine. Can you hear him now? In the day that you hear the voice of the Lord, heart not your hearts. I pray that today that the grace of God we speak loudly to your hearts because in him is salvation and nowhere else. We don't have to search for the grace that our souls long for, for the mercy we desperately need, for the truth that we can build our lives on. God has spoken 
And I pray that today that you would receive him as your savior, as your word, as your Lord, because that is what he longs to be in your life. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.